Good to see each one of you here this morning. And I, too, want to welcome those who are listening in, who have called in. We, too, welcome you and wish you God's blessing as well. As David mentioned, I was on schedule to preach at Caswell today. And uh, Kelvin and I decided that it would probably be best if we each just stay in our own community. So that's what we did. And so I will share with you what I had planned to share at Caswell this morning. The message I planned to share was a message that I was assigned some years ago in Harrisonburg, a church in Harrisonburg. I did share this message here back in 17. However, it's been reworked quite a few times since then, so you may or may not remember parts of it. But the assignment was forgiveness, and it was assigned to me in two parts, forgiving others and forgiving ourselves. What is forgiveness? What does it mean to forgive others? The dictionary says forgiveness is the intentional or voluntary process by which a victim undergoes a change in feelings and attitude regarding an offense, lets go of negative emotions such as vengefulness with an increased ability to wish the offender well. A more simple definition could simply be giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. So we will begin this morning by considering why and how we should forgive others, and then we will look later at forgiving ourselves. And so I invite you first to Matthew chapter 18. I'd like to read verse 28 through 35. In this account, we have a man who was just forgiven a financial debt that was impossible to ever pay back in a lifetime. He was just forgiven, the complete debt. In verse 28, we see the man's response, the man who was forgiven the debt. Matthew 18, 28, but this man who was just forgiven the impossible debt, went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him nothing more than pocket change. And those are my words. And laid him and laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. Very aggressive. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? 
and his master was angry and delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Why should we forgive? We should forgive because we have been forgiven much. We too have been forgiven a debt that was impossible for us to pay, the debt of sin. And so, verse 33, should we not also have compassion on our fellow servant, just as Christ had pity on you and I? Yes, I would think so, but often easier said than done. How should we forgive? Notice verse 35. We forgive from the heart. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you, comma, from his heart, comma, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. You see, it's possible to make an outward show of forgiveness without forgiving from the heart. We probably all have been guilty of outward only forgiveness. Jesus says we must forgive from the inside out. Outward is good, however, forgiveness is a matter of the heart, from his heart. And so, why we must forgive? We forgive because we have been forgiven much. How do we forgive? We forgive completely. We forgive from the heart. And so, very basic teaching right here from Christ. We have the children's verses in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And by the way, those are not just children's verses. You get my point. Colossians chapter 3, 12 and 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. How did Christ forgive you? Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. How did Christ forgive us? Let's think about that for a moment. And I invite you to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We could read more, but we will read just verse 1 of Romans 8. And so we're thinking about, even as Christ forgave us, so also do we. 
Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The word condemnation is the word I wanted to point out here. The word condemnation means the expression, the expression of a very strong disapproval. The action of condemning someone to a punishment, sentencing. There is therefore no condemnation or strong disapproval to those who are in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14. You can turn over there if you wish. We're thinking again about how Christ has forgiven us. The example of how we should forgive others. Colossians 2, 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. How did Christ forgive you? Well, verse 13, there we have it. Completely, having forgiven you all trespasses. I like the word pictures in verse 14. We have that wiped out. You know, that's even a term that we use. You know, be careful out there in the parking lot. It's a good way to wipe out. <laughs> I had an experience last week on some mud and if you would have been watching from a distance you would have been amused I didn't completely wiped out but it was close there was some real acrobatics went on for a little while but I got it together but I like that word wiped out because we <laughs> that's something we can understand taking it out of the way is another term even when we were dead in sins. That's how Christ has forgiven us. Was it easy for Christ to forgive? Was it easy for Christ to go to the cross and die for you and I? No, it was not easy. The Bible says in the garden, he prayed, Father, not my will, but thine be done. He sweated, as it were, great drops of blood. His disciples deserted him. He was falsely accused. He was beaten until his vision was marred. He was mocked and spit upon. A crown of thorns was rudely placed on his head. He was nailed to a cross. And on the cross he prayed, Father, forgive them. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do you.
As hard as it may be to forgive, forgiveness is the cure for the wounds of life. Forgiveness is the balm that soothes away the pain. God's forgiveness of us sets us free from the prison of guilt. Likewise, our forgiveness of others sets us free from the prison of bitterness. When someone has wronged us and we find it difficult or even we believe impossible to forgive the wrong, at that point we are falling at that point we are in danger of falling prey to the harmful effects of guilt and bitterness. First guilt because we know in our hearts that we must forgive. Even as Christ has forgiven us, we know what we should do. And second, bitterness. And bitterness may come in two ways. We resent the thought of being required to forgive, or we become bitter towards a situation that brought harm to us or to someone we love. And then with bitterness comes bondage. And my, do the two ever go hand in hand. B and B, bitterness and bondage. I have a story to share with you to thank of, and this story is to bring out what happens when we choose to not forgive and the bitterness that will set in. Each week, <clears throat> excuse me, each week, Kevin Tunnel was required to mail a dollar to a family he'd rather forget. How's that, you might ask? They sued him for $1.5 billion, but settled for 936 to be paid a dollar at a time. The family expected the payment each Friday, so Tunnel wouldn't forget what happened on the first Friday of 1982 that's the day their daughter was killed. Tunnel was convicted of manslaughter and drunken driving. He was 17 years old at the time. She was 18. Tunnel served a court sentence. He also spent seven years campaigning against drunk driving, six years more than his sentence required, but he kept forgetting to send the dollar. The weekly restitution was to last until the year 2000. In other words, 18 years. Tunnel was to make the check out to the victim, mail it to her family, and it was to be deposited in a scholarship fund. The girl's family took Tunnel to court four times for failure to comply. After one court appearance, Tunnel spent 30 days in jail. He insisted that, that he wasn't defying the order, but was haunted by the girl's death and tormented by the reminders. He offered the family two boxes of checks covering the payments until the year 2001, one year more than they required, but they refused the checks. It's not the money they were after, but penance, they said, probably more like vengeance than penance. The mother said, we want to receive the check every week on time. He must understand we are going to pursue this until August of the year 2000. We'll go back to court every month if we have to. 
the article went on to say, I know that most of us would never question that family's grief, but is 936 payments enough to demand from Kevin Tunnell? Will that family ever be able to put the matter to rest? In some ways, no. But will they ever try to forgive? How much restitution is enough? With bitterness, you see, comes bondage. Payments, restitution, will never truly satisfy the heart of a bitter person. And so, to the person who has hurt you, what are you requiring of him or her? And how many payments? You know, we all want to be forgiven. We expect it and we want it. But so often we struggle to forgive others. We resent it and sometimes we even refuse it. Often we'd rather seek, re often we'd rather seek revenge rather than grant forgiveness. We'd rather push blame into others instead of taking responsibility and asking for forgiveness ourselves. We say things like, but they wronged me. They hurt me. They stolen from me. My business partner stole from me and took away my business. They gossip about me and distorted my reputation. They ruined my good name. He killed my family member. He caused the accident that put me in a wheelchair the rest of my life. My wife or husband was unfaithful. We promised to love each other till the day that we died. These hurts are real. They are not small and imaginary. They have lifelong consequences. So how do we forgive such debts? We can't deny it or whitewash it or sweep it under the rug. How do we forgive such evil? Well, first, I believe it's important to understand that forgiveness is as much, that forgiveness is as much an attitude as it is an act. We already looked at the words of Jesus. We got to forgive from the inside out. And so forgiveness is as much as an attitude as it is an act. As hard as it may be, we must come to the place where we say, Lord, with your grace and with your power, I'm going to forgive, just like you have forgiven me. When you can come to that place, here's what you're not saying. You're not saying, oh, it wasn't that bad, denying there is a debt. You see, the debt is real. They owe you that debt. It's legitimate, but you're going to forgive the debt. So how do we do that? Well, I have one way here. That's a possibility. We can get a paper and pen, and on that paper write what is genuinely owed to you. And then take that paper before the Lord and say, Lord, here is the debt. 
Here is how I was wronged. Here is how I was cheated. Here is how I was taken advantage of. Here's what they did to me. God, you already know about it, but now you take it from me. I'm handing it to you. The debt is real. They owe it, but I'm handing it over to you. It's yours, Lord. You can choose to do with it as you please. It's no longer mine to collect. And then you give it to the one who reaches out to take it from you with his nail-scarred hand, the hand that was pierced and bled for you. The debt is no longer in your hand, but in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. The loss is still real. The wound is still there. No, we will not necessarily forgive and forget. However, I believe that time will heal many of our hurts in life. And I do believe that over time, the details surrounding our hurts will become foggy and distant in our minds. But depending on the depth of the hurt, we may need to cry out to God for many days or even years for his mercy and grace to forgive. I'd like for you to turn now to Hebrews chapter 4. I'd like to read 12 through 16. I share these verses as an encouragement to those who must forgive. You will notice these verses say nothing about forgiving others. But what they do say is what makes it possible to forgive others. And so Hebrews 4 verse 12 through 16. For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Folks, we can forgive. We got the power. Notice what these verses say. We have the word of God that is living and powerful. Verse 13, there is nothing hidden from the sight of God. He knows all about our situations. And we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens who can sympathize with our weaknesses. And the invitation is to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy 
and find grace to help in the time of need. Forgiveness is possible through the power of God. I don't know how else a person can forgive. Let's think now about forgiving ourselves. Is it possible to forgive ourselves? Where does the Bible ever tell us to do such a thing as forgive ourselves? I struggled a bit with this part of, of this assignment because I don't recall ever hearing a sermon on forgiving yourself. I don't know where you would, uh, I, I hadn't heard any of that, so I had to study. <laughs> so I'll share with you what, what I came up with. Forgiving ourselves. As we well know, certain life events and life circumstances can bring into our experience a heavy load of guilt. And not all these events and circumstances are equal. Some of these situations God allows. We have no choice in them. Other situations we may bring on ourselves. Maybe you physically hurt or killed someone by accident. You have acknowledged what happened. You have been truthful and honest. You have done all you could to make reconciliation, yet you carry a burden of guilt. And folks say to you, well, you need to forgive yourself. Maybe you hurt someone deeply because of sinful actions. Again, you have acknowledged this sin before God and others. You have experienced God's forgiveness. You have done all you could to make reconciliation. But because you know how deeply others were hurt, you carry a burden of guilt. And again, people say, well, you need to forgive yourself. And so what do we do with such heavy guilt? How do we find peace and rest? Earlier, I read the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.1, and I'll read them again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Do you realize that these words are written by a man who previously made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison? Think with me. How could Paul, a man with such an evil past, now stand and preach before a crowd of people and know there may be people in the crowd who have suffered or maybe are still suffering because of his past sinful actions. You know, it's very possible some folks were still suffering physically from the, the abuse of being drugged roughly to prison or spending time in prison. Or maybe some in the crowd were missing loved ones in prison 
or who may have died because of Paul's past wickedness. And Acts chapter 8 tells us that Paul consented to Stephen's death. So now Paul, he's a saved man, he's preaching the gospel, and he must face Stephen's mother, maybe his father, his brothers or sisters, maybe some of his friends, and he was there at Stephen's death, and he, you know, get it done, boys, you know. How must that have been? It must have been extremely hard. Was Paul able to forgive himself? If you look at Paul's writings with that in mind, it was seemed he never forgot his past sinful actions. The regrets of his past sinful actions followed him through life. And so I would say today, if you are carrying a heavy burden of guilt from a forgiven past, I encourage you to read the writings of the Apostle Paul and let his inspired words bring healing to your soul. The Apostle Paul is a man who has been there. In Philippians chapter 3, 13 and 14, Paul writes, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We may have a unfortunate past that may be hard to forget or even forgive, but one thing we can do, like the Apostle Paul, is to reach forward to those things which are ahead and press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so let the Apostle Paul's life encourage us today. Another man for us to consider is Peter. Peter, we know, was called to be a fisher of men. Peter was known for taking hasty action that he often later regretted. Peter once told Jesus, even if I had to die with you, I will not deny you. Peter then straightway denied Jesus three times. After the third time, Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. The denial of Jesus must have laid heavy on Peter's heart. Later in John chapter 21, three chapters later, Peter says to the other disciples, I go a fishing. What Peter was really saying is, I'm done. What is there left for me to do but to go back to my previous life? I'm going fishing. I have totally failed the Lord. I am guilty and will never forgive myself. And so they went fishing. That's what they did. That day, Jesus appeared on the shore and invited Peter and the others to a breakfast of fish that are being cooked on a fire of coals. 
or you could call it a charcoal fire. There are two places in the Bible where we find a fire of coals, and they both are in the Gospel of John. In fact, they're three chapters apart. The first is in John 18, verse 18, where Peter denies Christ. It says, And the servants and officers stood there who made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. This is the fire where Peter denied Christ. The second mention of a fire of coals is in John 21, where Peter says, I go a fishing. And 21 verse 9, as soon as they, Peter and the others, were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereupon, and bread. You see, there was first the fire of denial, and now we have the fire of redemption. Amen. Notice, well, if you're in John 21, just follow along with me, or if you're not, that's fine too. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have caught, just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, and I love the details, 153. Now someone here, young man, suggested that I preach a sermon sometime on fishing. Well, here, I plan to do that, but right here, you know who you are. Um, right here is just a little bit about fishing. Not just fish, large fish, and 150 of them, 53. And although there was so many, the net was not broken, which I take from that 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 was a very large catch. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus is calling out, Come, come to the fire, Peter, and fellowship with me. I don't know what was going through Peter's heart. I can only imagine. But Peter probably thought in his heart that he was disqualified. Beyond forgiveness, I have no business going up to that fire and eating a meal cooked by the one I just denied. But Jesus is saying, come. And so Peter went. He could have refused the invitation. He could have said, I'm not going. I'm not going to risk it. I'm not going to risk failure again. But he did risk it. He accepted the invitation to the fire of redemption. And so to those who are heavy laden with guilt, be it forgiven guilt or otherwise, the invitation is to come to Christ. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30, the great invitation, come to me, all 
you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when I read that this morning, it just, that would sound to me like a person that is in need of forgiving himself. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Peter came. Peter accepted the invitation. And after being questioned by Jesus, was then given a great work to do. And so today, for us, true forgiveness, true joy, true rest, true peace is only found when we come to Christ and allow him to work in our lives. That doesn't mean we will totally forget all our past mistakes and failures, but like Peter, it means that we can get back on our feet and go on in life with a purpose. Like Paul, we can reach forward to those things which are ahead and press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so, in closing, forgiveness. Forgiving others and forgiving ourselves. I'd like to close with three verses from Hebrews chapter 12. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you're praising the Lord and the forgiveness of, that you've experienced in Jesus Christ. But if you're like most humans, you probably have a person, an individual, a group of people, who knows, that uh, you're working towards forgiving. And there's also the possibility that there's something in your own life that, that uh, yes, you feel the forgiveness of God, you feel the forgiveness of others, but yet there's that, that burden of guilt, just that burden, unsettled feeling. I want to just encourage you with Hebrews chapter 12, 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, and as you know, this follows uh, chapter 11, where we have those who, uh, the heroes of faith, but Hebrews 12, 1, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And you know what's on my mind this morning when I read that word, weight. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged 
in your souls. God bless you. We'll call for a closing song.